Well, hey, uh, glad to get to be with you guys this morning. Glad to get to preach, you know. Um, so Chris is out of town this week. He's at a gamer convention. <laughs> I just like to call it a gamer convention. <laughs> He's like, I'm not a gamer. Whatever. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm excited about getting to preach. Um, so hopefully today will be slightly entertaining on my behalf because I'm going to tell some stories about myself and my dad, and my dad's in the room today, and he doesn't know that I'm going to talk about him. You excited? <laughs> oh man, but it's going to be good. So, um, and, uh, but hopefully it's challenging because it's been challenging. It's been something that I've been praying about preaching for uh, several, several months actually now, and was going to preach it for our kind of our senior salute going away, and I'm just not a very good planner, and I forgot to plan it, and so we didn't have a senior salute, so sorry seniors that are gone, I failed you, but we will definitely try to do it better in the future. So, uh, so today we're going to talk about this idea of discipleship, and that's a word that we throw around in the church Constantly, we talk about discipleship. We we talk about it. Uh, we talk about it in micro churches and micro groups, and this idea of replication of oneself and and replicating uh, Jesus, basically. Like we're trying to become followers of Jesus, and then we're trying to teach other people how to be followers of Jesus as well. So it's been very convicting because I don't feel like that I do this well enough. Like honestly. Um, you know, I was listening to a, to a sermon several, several weeks ago, and this guy's name was Tim Keller, and he said, it was, he was talking about discipleship, and he goes, one of the least effective ways in the church for discipleship to happen is through preaching, and that's a lot of times what we are the products of. We, we sit in here on a Sunday morning, and we listen to preaching, but he says that preaching is one of the least effective ways to be able to do discipleship. And so I really start to th- I thought to myself, like, literally all that I do, I feel like at times, is on Wednesday nights. I come here on a Wednesday morning. We do staff meeting. I spend most of the day kind of prepping for the evening. And then the evening comes. I stand up here on the stage. I preach. The kids go to small groups. We spend maybe 30 minutes at most in small groups. And then they dismiss. And then on like Sunday mornings, they come, you know, they'll sit up front, they go to, you know, they come to service and then they go home. And, and I was like, man, I literally, I don't get to really pour in and get to do discipleship like the way that I would like to be able to do so. And uh, so it's been really convicting kind of thinking about what does it look like? What does discipleship look like for me personally? Like how am I discipling other people? So, um, that's where, that's where I've been. Um, so needless to say, I'm going to let you kind of travel through my thoughts as I was kind of thinking and praying and listening through things. Uh, I also have some, hopefully, some very practical things that you can write down, remember, uh, maybe tools that you can use to maybe start into this idea of being able to disciple somebody. So the passage that we're going to go to, we're actually going to look at two accounts of it, once in Matthew and then once again in Luke. And so, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. 
You know, hold on, let me go somewhere real quick, though, because I forgot to do this during welcome, because I don't do welcome that often, so I don't remember. So there are yellow cards in the front of your seat backs here, and if you would like, you could fill one out, and you could put it in the offering plate, or you could drop it off at the welcome desk at the end, and we'd love to be able to talk to you. If you have any prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you, too, so you can write those on there. I just forgot to do that. And then the other thing is, there are Bibles in the back, and these ushers would love to hand one to you. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. They'll hand you a Bible. If not, you can just read on the screen and try to listen, look past my southern accent if you are not from here. And I really think I don't have one when I listen to myself talk. And then when I listen to myself on, like, video, I'm like, golly, Whew. I can't even understand what I'm saying sometimes. So I will try to speak clearly and as uh, non-twangy as possible. So Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking on the sea, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. All right, and so there's some emphasis on some words there, followed him. Jesus called, they dropped everything, and they followed him. And so that's kind of this idea that I want to talk about today. Um, talk about this idea of discipleship and how we as a church and how we as members of a body do it. So you know, and we've said it before, I've said it, I say it to these kids all the time, that we're all disciple makers in some shape, form, or fashion. You might say, I don't know, no, no, I'm not a disciple maker. All of you are disciple makers. You all, most of you have children, and your children look a lot like you guys. Some for good, some for worse. But they all look like you guys. They, they have mannerisms like you. They say things like you. Um, but we all have these natural abilities and these gifts. Like some of us are very talented in our work, you know, whether it's uh, being mechanically inclined or you're a carpenter or you're a doctor or you're, you're a lawyer, whatever it is, but you have these abilities, these gifts and that you can naturally pass these gifts on to people. We are all naturally made to be disciple makers. Jesus, I mean, God made us that way, period. That's the whole idea of like having children, like, and then our children become like disciples, and so there's this generation and this heritage. So we are all natural disciple makers, and we're already making disciples. So I noticed this very much. There's where the stories come in. I've noticed this very much with my dad, as I've gotten older, I've noticed it a whole lot more. So I can remember stories. Here's some, here comes some stories. So we would just like drive around, go places. Uh, I, I grew up in Clarksville, and so there's this little kind of blurb of Clarksville called New Providence. It's, it's nice. Or it was maybe in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> it's pretty rough, but I can remember my dad kind of grew up in that area, and we would go back into New Providence, and you would really meet some characters. Like, you'd really meet some folks. And we'd sit there, and my dad could have the most random conversations with people. 
Like, random person walking down the street having a conversation 30 minutes later, I'm tapping my foot thinking, can we go yet? Like, can we leave? Like, can, I, can we go? Or I'm like off playing in the road, not really, but dad's over there talking and chatting it up. And, you know, so I start to kind of see this in myself a little bit. You know, and I see this with my son now because, like, we'll be in places. And, I'm, and, I, and it's not like I'm intentionally, like, trying to, like, go talk to somebody. But it's just, like, this natural urge to, like, walk up to somebody and be like, where are you from? Huh. I like that. Or, you know, talking this. And have a 30-minute conversation. My wife will send me to H.G. Hills. She used to. This was all planning. Like, I did this. This was done with intentionality, though honey, can you go get some eggs from the grocery store? Will do. Two hours later, I'm getting texts. I'm getting texts 45 minutes in. And then I'm getting phone calls and I'm hitting the hang-up button on it and stuff like that. Two hours later, I'm still at H.G. Hills and I've talked to at least a half a dozen people at this point. Um, And so I find myself doing these same things, the things that I viewed my dad doing, just talking to random people. I'm finding myself talking to random people. And I see my son being like, can we go yet? Can we go? But here's the other thing that I see out of this. (laughs) I see my son starting to do the same things. Like, you know, so it's come for us. Like, you know, there's the old adage, you know, don't talk to strangers, right? Well, like with Ruger, we've had to change this up. And it's like, Ruger, you can talk to strangers, do not go anywhere with anyone, okay? Because he just talks. We're sitting on Dickerson Road one day, working, not just like sitting on Dickerson Road, okay? <laughs> We're working on Dickerson Road, and I had Ruger, I had to finish up a, a few things, uh, some landscaping, and Ruger's out there with a hammer, and he's just kind of like digging in the dirt, sitting on Dickerson Road, and this guy walks by. Ruger's like, hey, how you doing? And this guy stops, and Ruger's just like talking to him. And I'm like, that is definitely my child, and I am definitely my father's child. But it's this, this, this idea, like, I saw this happen in my dad's life, and so it's naturally kind of been ingrained into my own life as well. And so uh, it's kind of funny to kind of see how this natural discipleship begins to happen. I also notice the mannerisms with my hands, the way I react in situations. I'm like, wow. I am my dad, whoa. Like, and I have these moments where it kind of sets me back. Another example of like how my dad has inadvertently poured into my life, not knowing he was doing that, but as a kid, man, we trespassed a lot. Like, a lot. Like, my dad comes from a different generation, and they just roamed around, and like, there were no, like, oh, there's a fence, just climb it. You know, so we roamed in some of the most random locations on people's property all the time. It was like, oh, there's a creek. We'll just walk in it. Like, we'll just go and hike down this creek. Or I think there's a cave back on this property. Let's see if we can go find it. And this is my dad saying that. And I'm like, yeah, I want to go get in a cave too. And so as a kid, man, every weekend, if the weather was good, we're out. Like, I'm begging my dad. One day I thought, man, I want to learn how to repel, dad. Like, I want to repel. And this is me as like a nine-year-old child. So we go to the pack rat on New Providence Boulevard, and we buy an old school Swiss seat. If any of y'all are in the military, you know what it is. We buy this old school Swiss seat, and then we go to Lowe's, and we buy some rope. Yeah. 
And we, we, buy, we buy the stuff to learn to repel. This is before YouTube. There's no like, you can learn it in a safe manner. We're just going to figure it out on the fly. So then we go to another very classy place in Clarksville called Trice Landing. All right? And if you've ever been in New Providence, Trice Landing's an interesting place. Um, but it's got kind of these bluffs that run alongside the river. And we learn to repel off of these bluffs with a Lowe's rope, <laughs> right? And so, but it was, I loved it, man. Like, I look back and I think, man, I had one of the greatest childhoods. Like, I talked to some kids and they're like, I don't know how to ride a bike. And I'm like, how do you not know how to ride a bike? Like, it's, it's, you know, here's another one. We're riding around. Like, I decided, you know, I wanted to get into bike riding. I was maybe, I don't know, probably 10, 11. And so we go bike riding, which, I mean, we always rode bikes, but I wanted to ride, like, long distances. So my dad was like, okay. So he gets in the classifieds, and he finds a bike, and he buys a bike. And so we take off riding one day, and we're, we lived in kind of the far side of Sango, like this side of Sango. And we decided we're going to ride around, and they had not built the Walmart in Sango yet, but there was a big field over there, so when there was trails all through it. So we're like, my dad's like, we'll go over there and ride through these trails. So we take off riding from our house, about eight miles away, seven, maybe eight miles away. We get to Walmart, the Kmart's there, and I decide, I was a heavier kid, I'm still a heavy guy now, but I was a heavy kid, and I thought, I'm going to jump my bike off this curb. Hence, we, we rode there six miles away, seven miles away. And I jump it, and I bend the rim. And this is before cell phones. So there's no way to, like, there's no way. I'm not like, I can't get back. We can't get back. And my dad, of course, being a responsible parent, like, I can't leave my nine-year-old on the side of the road. So luckily, this bike that he had bought off the classifieds had, a, had a, uh, like a luggage carrier on the back. And I can remember riding this luggage carrier for like six miles all the way back to our house. And he had strapped, he had strapped the bicycle to the front of his. And we're riding down the connector road, exit 11, the, the divided highway, with this heavy set kid on the back and a bicycle on the front with bent rims riding back to our house. So... It was, I mean, it was definitely a sight to be seen. So this is, this maybe explains some of why I am who I am, <laughs> right? <laughs> My wife's saying amen. But he didn't intentionally pass those things on to me. Like that was just, that was just a natural part of life, and it just naturally developed over time. But if you notice on like both of these stories and examples, the common denominator is time. We spent lots and lots of time together. And discipleship revolves around time. And when I say time, don't think of it in means of like quantity of time, but quality of time. Like the times that you're together and the memories that are created and the stories that are made, like the quality of time that you spend together. And if time plays such a large part in discipleship, it's got to create something. And so what does time create? When we spend large amounts of time with each other and with people, we have relationships. So time spent together creates relationships. 
So if you want to write it down, you can. Time spent together creates relationships. And so this next little section that we get into, this is ripped straight from a guy named John Maxwell. Some of you have probably read some of his books. You might have listened to some of his podcasts. But I looked it up one day, and I listened to it, and I was like, man, this is convicting, and this is really great. So I'm going to write it down. And so I had notes in my phone. But he's known for developing leadership amongst the corporate and Christian world. So the title of this little section is, Relationships are the most effective way to do discipleship. Relationships are the most effective way to do discipleship. As we said earlier on, preaching is one of the least effective ways to do discipleship. But relationships are the most effective way to do discipleship. John Maxwell, he says this. He says, too many leaders are like travel agents, sending people where they've never been before. He says, leaders need to be like tour guides and bring them along with them. This is where I'm at and this is where I've been. Come along with me. We look at that Matthew 4 passage and Jesus says to those disciples, those first disciples, he says, he doesn't say, hey, I want you to go over there and do this. He says, come with me. Like, follow me. And so in turn, we know that that meant, like, he's saying, come along with me. And as we read scripture, we know that they stayed with him and they did life with him and he did things with them. And so too often, leaders are like travel agents. They try to send people where they've never been before and they don't know. We need to invite people to come along. Come with me. Do this with me. You see, that's, that's where I am who I am because of my dad. Because I went along with him. There were times where I said, can we go yet? But I was there with him. And these things naturally ingrained into me who I am. So we see this. Jesus, this idea of him calling the disciples to follow him, come live life with him. We see it in the Gospels, that something would happen. There was the time the lady, she breaks the the ointment, and she starts anointing Jesus. And these these guys, his disciples, they look around, and and they're like, that's a year's worth of money. I mean, think about it. It's probably the average of Pleasant View. The average income of a person would say maybe it's $50,000. And you imagine that if that was to happen in this day and age for somebody to take something worth $50,000 and say, no, 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 let me me anoint you. Like, let me pour this on you. Like, let me give this to you. And people would look around and say, what? Like, that's crazy. Because, and we see that probably, like in Scripture, that Judas, Judas was the one who carried the money bag. And it was probably a lot of this dissension was created by Judas because he was always thinking about money. And so he he kept, it says in in the passage, it says, well, couldn't she have just sold all of that? Couldn't she have sold that ointment and, and distributed it amongst the poor? Like, wouldn't have been more effective if she would have sold it and then gave it away. And we see Jesus literally read the spirit, read the mind of these men, and he calls them out. And he corrects them. We also see it in the stories, in the parables. Jesus tells the story of a parable, and then he again brings his guys back. 
He says, you might not understand this, but let me, let me explain this to you. They don't understand it, but let me explain it to you. Jesus spent more time teaching his disciples than he did anyone else. You know, when Jesus was doing miracles, when Jesus was working in the streets and doing things like that, we've got to remember that his disciples were right there with him. He literally meant, come follow me and go everywhere that I go and do everything that I do. Nathan preached on this passage several months ago, and he talked about the rabbinical system where when somebody would become a rabbi, and they would call rabbis to these, these, these kids that wanted to be a, part, be a rabbi to follow them, and they, these kids would literally walk right behind them, and they would just follow them. And th- we see this happening with Jesus and his disciples as well. Jesus realized that relationships were the most effective way to do discipleship. Jesus was a tour guide, not a travel agent. He didn't say, go out there and do this. He said, come along with me and I'll show you. John Maxwell also says that the greatest motivation principle in the world is that people do what people see. People do what people see. When we see something, we can replicate it. You know, that was like for me in college, like I had the hardest time. Like I needed to go to class because these online classes, thank God online classes didn't really exist right now or exist when I was in college because I don't think I'd have ever graduated. It took me six years anyways, but I'm glad it didn't happen because I needed to sit in a classroom and I needed to watch somebody do something. I needed to be able to interact face-to-face with a professor and say, what does this mean? Like, I don't get this. And so people see, or people do what people see. That's me. I'm a product of that. I'm a product of time and relationship with my dad. I did what I saw then. I do what I saw then. I am who I am now because of what I saw then. Relationships are the foundation for discipleship. We've got to have a relationship. We have got to create some face value with people. Because if somebody, if you come here on a Sunday morning and somebody just preaches to you, there's a lot of nameless faces out there. I wish I knew everybody in this room. And I've seen everybody for the most part in this room. But I don't know everybody's face. And so there's not a relationship established at that point. And so the clout that what I speak into your life doesn't mean as much. But if I spend time with you and I invest into your life, you begin to say, well, maybe that is something important. I mean, we see that with kids naturally. That heart connection between a a mother and a child or a father and a child, you know, people say, you know, and they always say that, that the biggest influencer of teenagers are the friends. Lie, it's not. Like, there are times that your teens will be knuckleheads and you'll want to, like, rip their heads off. But for the most part, the biggest influence on your child is you because you have the time and the relationship with them. And so that's good and gravy, but I know you all have a question. How do I find someone to disciple? Like, that's a very, and that's a, it's a very good question to ask. Like, because when you might, in this room right now, you might look around and say, well, who do I disciple? You know, 
who do I, I, I don't know enough. Or I'm not, I'm not at that point where I feel like I can disciple somebody. So here's another, uh, another version of the story told by Luke of the calling of the first disciples. And it's in Luke chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. And he saw two boats by the lake, which was the Sea of Galilee. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who was Peter. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the both, both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the knees, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. See, in this view of the story, Luke kind of goes into a little bit more detail. He adds a little bit more flavor to the story, and we see that there's a little bit of a backstory going on. And in this one, we start to see a little bit of an obedience and a, maybe a little bit of disobedience. Jesus said to Peter, he says, hey, lower your nets down. And he was immediately met with resistance. Peter said, Master, we worked all night. We fished all night long. We're tired. Like, this is what we do for a living? It would be like me telling Doc, hey, Doc, I don't know anything about fishing, but I think you need to throw that crankbait right there. And Doc would be like, you're an idiot. There's grass over there or something. Or, you know, he'd say something. I don't know that he would say idiot. He would probably be a little more kind. <laughs> right. But Peter says, Master, like, this is what we do. I'm a fisherman. This is my job. This is how I make my money. And for the fact that knowing that Peter had a boat meant that Peter was a little bit higher up. Like, Peter was a professional. He didn't just work on a boat, it was his boat. But he says, but it's your word, I'll let down my net. In the same breath, Peter resists and obeyed. And it says the nets were so full that they began to sink and they needed help to get all of the fish. And I heard a guy preach this and and. I was like, wow, I've never even thought about this aspect of it. But I believe that this will happen to us as well. You know, Jesus will say, hey, go over here. 
drop your nets here. And you'll become fishers of men, he tells them. See, here's what happened. It wasn't because Jesus was a great fisherman. It's because Jesus commands all of creation. Like, he lords over everything, and everything exists because he holds it in his hand. And so when, when Jesus told Peter to drop your nets there, you know what Jesus did? He called all the fish to go in the net. It wasn't that he was a great fisherman. It's that he commands creation, and creation came to the net. And he said, come to this net. And so he begins to pull these nets up, and they were so full. You see, that's the same God that has authority over the souls of men and women. Okay? And that when men and women are fishing for other people, when we're listening and being obedient and we're fishing for other people, God's going to bring people to the net. So if you're looking for somebody to disciple, just listen and be obedient. Be in the Word. Be in time with him. Spend time in him. The whole idea, like Chris was talking about abiding, and he kept putting the Tupperware containers. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, he's going to fill the nets, and all you got to do is listen and be obedient. God's going to put somebody in your life. Here's the other thing. It might be very uncomfortable. It might be your own child, yeah, and probably, probably. Because, see, what this does when it calls for us to go and be disciples, it puts on us a little bit of a weight. And we say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do this. You see, one time we were at, and I've said this example before, but we were at a conference five, six, seven years ago in Austin, Texas, and there was this Chinese man, and he had planted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches throughout China. Hundreds. Like, they said that maybe he had one of the greatest, like, church planning ministries outside of the New Testament. Hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus because this man was obedient. He was so obedient to the point that the Chinese government would put an end to it. And so they told us in this conference, they said, listen, guys, we're being serious here. Don't take pictures of this man. Don't video this man anything. Like, it cannot get out on social media who this man is because they'll probably kill him. And literally, the, the biggest thing that ever, one of the biggest moments that I remember in my life, this is five years ago, and it impacted the way that I see discipleship. And it was this question and answer kind of deal. And he's like, well, how do, you, how do you get people to become disciples? And then how do you get them to disciple other people? He says, it's easy. I teach ABC, you teach ABC. I teach one, two, three, you teach one, two, three. You see, being disciple makers doesn't mean that we have to have everything figured out on the front end. We're not ever going to have that figured out. We're not going to ever know enough. But the thing is, is we can teach what we already know. So then it goes into the question, here comes some practicality of how can I then disciple? So now we figured out time and relationship is the key, is the foundation to discipleship. We found out that who is going to disciple me or who am I going to disciple comes from spending time in the Word, and that God's going to put, God's going to fill your nets. And now we ask the question, how am I going to disciple? How am I going to go and go about doing this? Maybe it's systematic, maybe it's real organic. It's all kind of up to you, and it's all kind of how the Holy Spirit leads you to do these things. 
But so, how do I disciple? First things first, all right? This is, if this doesn't exist, then you can't make a disciple of Jesus. You gotta love Jesus, period. You can make a disciple of yourself. Like, you can, you can make a, a disciple of who you are, but in order to be able to make a disciple of Christ, you first have to love Jesus. You don't have to know everything about everything about everything of the Bible, but you what, know what you know and be open to learn as you go. So know what you know and be open to learn as you go. Learn ABC, teach ABC. Learn one, two, three, teach one, two, three. You don't have to be 10 steps ahead. You don't have to be light years ahead of the person that you disciple. But know what you know and be open to learn as you go. Back to this John Maxwell. He has this philosophy called the five levels of leadership. And if you're a business owner or if you're in the corporate world, I would say, I would suggest listen to it. It's really good. Also, as a Christian, listen to it and, and just kind of stew in it and think about it. But it's called the five levels of leadership. And so for like disciple making, that's kind of this level four of leadership. It's called the people development level. Level four is where you begin to develop people. You begin to replicate yourself. And so we'll call this the Jesus pattern to discipleship, all right? Jesus' pattern to discipleship. Three characteristics of a good disciple maker. The first one is you recruit well. The second is you position well. And the third is you equip well. And that's what we're going to kind of look at about how Jesus, talking about the Jesus pattern. Jesus recruited people well, he positioned people well, and he equipped people well. So, first, you recruit well. So if you're going to be a good disciple maker, you're going to recruit people well. That goes back to the idea that of, I'm going to listen, I'm going to pray, and God's going to fill the nets. So we're going to recruit. God's going to put who's in your path to be in there. God's sovereign. God's kind of over everything. So whoever God puts in your path, you don't even have to really worry about the recruitment at this point because God's going to put the right person in your life. God will provide the who. So a good disciple maker is always looking for people to pour their lives into. They're always walking around. And here's the thing. Being a disciple maker doesn't mean that you only have one person. And you might only have one person that you disciple. But being a disciple maker goes and it exists through all of your life. Like a good disciple maker is always looking for some way to pour their life into somebody else. We take Jesus, we can paint that picture, we can look at Jesus and say, well, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, it said at one time, you know, he's walking through the city, lady touches his robe, he turns around, and he pours his life into her. Right there on the street. Like, he, she touches, he feels this power, he turns around, he identifies who it is, and then he pours his life into her. And so a good disciple maker is always going to be looking to, for people to pour their lives into. They're always looking for moments to invest. Some of you guys in here are in the investment world. You have the job that you do, but then you also have the little side hustles that you invest into. 
And you take it, and you're always looking for ways to invest. Like, for me, I've got this canoe and kayak company. So I'm constantly thinking in my head, what are some ways that I can do this in order to make this better? And so, like, for me, over the past week, I've been trying to meet with people to collaborate with, like, to meet with other companies and say, hey, let's try to get together, and then maybe... By getting together, we can pull both of our audiences together, and then both of us will mutually benefit from it. And so people are always, a good disciple maker is always looking to invest. They're always looking to invest into the life of other people, into the organizations, into, into the cultures that they're in. They're always looking to invest. So the second characteristic of a good disciple maker is that you position well. You see, again, a leader's always looking. A good disciple maker's always looking to other people. They're always looking out. They're always looking for opportunities. They're always looking for chances to invest. But then once they find those people, they're always looking for what they're good at, what their talents are, what their passions are. They're looking at their strengths. They're looking at their weaknesses. A good disciple maker is looking at how they can best use the person for the, for the mission. You see, so if you take somebody and you play them out of position, they're not very effective. If you took a basketball player, Daniel, right here, what position do you play? Center? What if you played point guard? Would that be difficult? It'd be a little weird. But if you took, if you took the five-foot five nothing guy and you put him at center, how effective is your team going to be at that point? You know, so a good disciple maker is looking how to position people well, how to be able to put them into the avenue in which they're going to be most effective. You know, Jesus did that. Jesus knew what the disciples' strengths were, and he knew what their weaknesses were. So to be a good disciple maker, you have to position well. You've got to put people where they're most effective. And then when you do that, lastly, you've got to be able to equip well. Again, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be light years ahead of people. But after you've recruited the person, after you've identified their strengths, their weaknesses, now you equip them. You come alongside them. Like Jesus, follow me. Follow me, shadow me, do with me. The whole idea of internship, come along, learn. Learn. People do what people see. This is where the time and the relationship becomes so sweet because as they spend time with each other, they begin equipping them. You begin to understand where they're strong, where they're weak. But you, you begin to understand their life. You begin to understand why they are who they are. You know, like say with Nathan, Nathan has poured a lot into my life and there's been multiple times him having conversations with my dad and having conversations with me because he's gotten to know me so well and know my mannerisms and know who I am. He looks and he goes, wow, you're a product of your dad. And it's like, yeah, absolutely, that's who I am. But in order to be a good disciple maker, you've got to be able to equip people well. You've got to bring them alongside. You've got to be able to show them how to do what you want them to do. And so it breaks down into five very simple steps in this equipping level. Again, this is not an original thought. This is John Maxwell's version of it. And I was like, this makes perfect sense for discipleship. 
Five steps to equipping disciples. The first step is easy. I do it. I do it. You can't teach somebody what you can't do yourself. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You can't teach somebody something that you can't do yourself. I can't teach you how to do an open heart surgery. I can watch YouTube, but you ain't going to trust me. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And so the question that we have to reflect on ourselves and look at ourselves and kind of go to a 36,000 foot view and look down at our life and we've got to ask, who are you? Like, who am I? If we reproduce who we are, who am I? And so we ask that question, are you a disciple of Jesus? Like, do you believe in Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Like, is Jesus Lord of your life? Does everything in your life revolve around Jesus, like, do you work in order that people might see Jesus? Do you go to school in order that people might see Jesus? Are you on social media in order that people might see Jesus? You know, we got to look at ourselves because discipleship happens naturally. And so the first step is I do it, and we reproduce who we are. The second step is I do it, and you're with me. You see, Jesus was already doing stuff, and then he goes along, along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these disciples, and he says, come along with me. And they drop everything, and they follow him, and they walk through life. For three years, these disciples walked through the life of Jesus, and they saw Jesus do it. Jesus says, I do it, you're with me. This is the part where Jesus mentors, coaches, different situations, the parables where he pulls them aside and he explains the, what's going on. This is the, these are the opportunities where people ask questions and they say, well, what does this mean? Why did you do what you did? How do you go into a situation like this? What do you do when you run into a family member that's crazy? Or what happens when this or that happens? This is the opportunity for the person that you're discipling to be able to ask you questions. You get to observe as the, the person being discipled, you get to observe now from an outside perspective. You don't have any responsibility on your shoulders at this point, but you get to observe from an outside perspective and you get to ask the person that's discipling you, why'd you do what you did? The third step is this. You do it. As a disciple maker, this is the third step. You look at the person you're discipling and you say, you do it now. And I'm with you. So the first one's, I'll do it. And then, I'll do it and you come with me. And then this one is, you do it and I'm with you now. This is, I'm watching and I'm helping and I'm starting to, this is the beginning of the equipping process that I'm trying to put you into situations where you're most effective and I'm watching and fine-tuning 
And I'm helping you, and I'm asking you questions. Why would you do what you did in order to help you to kind of self-reflect? See, these are just easy steps that, as a, as a disciple maker, that maybe we don't understand how to disciple somebody. This is easy. You do it. You do it, bring someone along with you. Now, they do it, and you watch them. And you help them, and you, you help them get better. And then the fourth step. You just do it. You look at the person that you're discipling and you say, you just do it. You don't need me. You know how to do it. You see, most folks think that this is the last step when it comes to discipling somebody. You've reached the pinnacle. You have taught the person how to do what you wanted them to do. You see, but that's not the last step. The fifth step is the most crucial step in the discipleship process. The fifth step is you look at that disciple and you say, you do it, and you bring someone along with you. You have never trained and equipped someone well until they can multiply themselves. Being a follower of Jesus, we were created to replicate ourselves. We were created to pour our lives and invest and identify the weaknesses and the strengths of a person, to place people in their most effective position, to put them out there, and then we say, hey, go, but now bring someone along beside you, and you do what I just did to you, and so on and so on. You see, but that's where we are today. We are where we're at, Christian church. That's why we're here. This has been happening for 1,000, 2,000 years that Jesus had his disciples and his disciples poured into disciples and the disciples poured into disciples and disciples poured into disciples. We are a product of discipleship. We are supposed to come alongside and bring people along and to this generation here and to every one of you out there, we are to pour our lives into each other for the sake of the kingdom going forward. So we'll kind of close with just a few things and then we'll enter into a time of communion But we have to create disciples that create disciples that create disciples. And if we don't do that, we have got to reevaluate what we're doing. We've got to say, what, why am I even doing this? Because the goal of creating disciples is create disciples who create disciples. And discipleship is going to be this ongoing, always learning, growing process. Know what you know and be open to learn as you go. Because I promise you, in the, in the middle of this process, you're going to learn things that you never knew before. And it's going to make you a better disciple maker and it's going to in turn make your disciple a better disciple maker and in turn make them a better disciple maker. And as we grow people, we are able to help them increase their capacity And then they begin to increase the capacity of what can be accomplished. And that's for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth.
So I want to end with this. We see God in Romans, or I mean in Genesis 1.28, he looks at Adam and Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. A little out of context. But in essence, it's discipleship. It's the same thing. God looks at us and he says, go be fruitful and multiply. Pour into each other and multiply. And pour into each other and multiply. And pour into each other and multiply. And so I hope today that you maybe got a few laughs about my life and where I am, where I'm at. But this has been, this hasn't been me hopefully teaching to you guys. Man, this has been me learning this week. Me learning how to be a better disciple maker. To be a better father towards my son and to my daughter and towards my wife. Like, this has been convicting. And I'm hoping that out of some of this that you guys benefit and reap some of the same things that I've reaped, reaped, reaped the same time. I don't know. Uh, this week as well. So let's pray, and then we'll enter into a time of communion. And uh, God, thank you for today. God, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that Jesus discipled people and brought them alongside him and, and brought them with him and, and lived life with them. Because, because, God, if Jesus hadn't have done that, we wouldn't be here today. This gospel that we believe now would not be here today if it hadn't have been for him pouring his life into other people. God, we just pray that you would convict us of our necessity to go out and make disciples of you. God, help us to be obedient, to, to listen to what you're saying. God, help us to go where you call us. God, we just pray that you would fill our nets with people. God, that you would put disciples, you would put people that we can invest our lives into. But God, we just pray. I pray for myself. I pray for all these people. God, I just pray that you would put a passion and a zeal and a fire in our life to pour our life out to other folks. God, I just pray that you would uh, continue to just work in this body of believers, that you would continue to work in 24 Church, in this community. God, we just pray that your name would be known throughout this community, through this town, and through this world. God, we thank you for your son Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.